Hello and welcome to Ringer FC. I'm joined by Mr. Carabao Cup himself, Micah Peters. <laughs> you don't know. And Donnie Kwok, who I believe is more of a, a Johnstone's paint trophy guy. <laughs> if I'm right. What up? What up? What up? What up? Donnie hasn't finished his sleeve. Um, he he has a half sleeve of tattoos that just kind of peeks out from under his jersey, and uh, he also has dreadful positioning. The goals in the lower lower leagues this year have been pretty lit, if I can just say that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, the Carabao Cup is about to kick off. My advice is do not read anything into any of those games about your favorite team, <laughs> good or bad. <laughs> no, no. Buy into the cup magic. Um, watch out for the signboards on the sideline um, if you're Renato Sanchez. <laughs> watch out for the hoarding. You know, they are. it is deceptive. Um, we're not going to talk about the Carabao Cup. Uh, but we're, we are going to talk about some massive overreactions from the Premier League and elsewhere in the world, some zonal question marks. And then we're going to be d- joined by David Priest, who is a former keeper in Europe and now a broadcaster, to discuss Ederson's just passing Wizardry. masterclass uh, from the keeper position against Tottenham on Saturday. Speaking of Tottenham, the first massive overreaction is... Delhi Ali should not go to the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let Donnie start on this one. Donnie, what do you think? Because of him being a nasty player or for his poor play? No, first of both. all, I've, I'm uh, like, I am, I, I, listen, I had no issue with him uh, flipping sure. off a Slovakian player, I think it was, over in September. More of that, please. I'm talking, right. like, it's more just the fact that, like, his confidence doesn't seem like it's, exactly all that high right now. I think he's experiencing his first dip in form since he came from NK Dons. Right. Yeah, he's been definitely out of form. And then, of course, against City over the weekend. Uh, it's becoming kind of a habit now for for uh, Deli Ali that when he's not playing well, he gets a little frustrated and can lash out. I mean, last year we saw it in the Europa League against Ghent. He almost... he he had his studs up in the middle of a opponent's shin. And then against uh, City on Saturday, uh, De Bruyne, he really could have, uh, I don't know, broken his ankle, yeah, right? I mean, basically got pretty serious. stomped down. Uh, I mean, Pep was gesticulating wildly on the touchline because it was right in front of him. And, you you know, it was a terrible tackle. Of course, KDB scored like two minutes later. So I guess all was forgiven from City's point of view. But... That was yeah, my, I mean, that, that was a very, uh, a very. I mean, it was wasn't the first bad tackle from Spurs on the day, but um, but for Deli Ali, I think it's like he's not doing anything else really, and now he's out here trying to end careers. It's not a good look. Well, at the very least, Eric Lamela is back. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, we got to talk rude. about that that Kevin De Bruyne finish because it was like I the amount of like. There's just a singular focus in him on, like, after, okay, you fouled me. It wasn't even like, you know, I'm pissed or whatever until he just kind of barrels down the side of the pitch and get and runs on, lashes onto a through ball and then just rifles one past Hugo Lloris at the near post. Just like a, I mean, it was one of those strikes that 
he didn't say it, but he was definitely thinking "fuck you" very loudly. Yeah, that was like the thing your dad says to you when you get fouled in a game. Like, don't foul the guy. Like, just show him you're better. Yeah, you know? that was- <laughs> <laughs> that's the exact. I was thinking that exact. Okay, yeah, that's exactly right. He's just like you know, don't don't retaliate. Just you know, prove that you're the better player. Yeah, uh, and if you're Kevin De Bruyne, that's a great that's a great strategy. That that might have been my favorite moment of the season so far. Briefly thinking he was going to be out for the season, and then he comes back on a minute later and scores. Um, Really made Deli Ali look like a chump. Um, I also, you know, Deli Ali has always been kind of a a weird player to me, um, a weird player to judge. He's had a ton of like incredible production from an attacking midfield position at a young age, but to me, he kind of. Let me know if you guys d- disagree or not. To me, he's the kind of guy that like, if he's not scoring and assisting, he's kind of like not really doing anything else he, yeah. you know, he's not dropping deep and like knitting the play up to the attack um, he's not really dribbling past people um, and defensively he's kind of a maniac and <laughs> is like <laughs> just a kind liability. of wildly throws himself around yeah so I think some of it can maybe be attributed just to like you know he had that really good chance against Man U he's had a couple you know really sort of big chances that he's maybe finished in the past in the Premier League. Um, And it just, when he's not playing well, it seems especially bad. I mean, like, he definitely has the, it's, I mean, like, it's like Donnie was saying before, if he's not, he's finishing those chances, we're talking about this season for him in a different way. Um, I think that he definitely has, like, the negative feedback loop going on, which is just, like, a thing that happens to young players. Yeah. I, I don't think that there's, this is, necessarily a greater cause for like you know crisis or whatever but i mean like you know it's this is a thing that happens and you know you got to pull out of it at some point young english players in particular right the hype gets so deafening yep yeah it's almost like he's following kind of the exact path of sterling i was gonna say yeah yeah he's 21 and not you know he sort of took a leap in production last year and now probably isn't going to put up those same stats maybe this season and it seems like a the end of the world but it's more just like he's 21 progression isn't <laughs> linear um in a, a lot of the time yeah. and at the same time you know so his premier league numbers are down he did have t- he had two goals and three assists in 260 minutes in the champions league so if you add in the champions league scored twice against real madrid you know he he's still had some pretty good moments this season but yeah. i think think he's kind of representative of Tottenham as a whole in a way where it seems like at Tottenham as more so than any team in the Premier League it's everything is good for Tottenham when everything is good oh yeah I mean like it's definitely like they beat uh Real Madrid three to one at Wembley and it's just like feelings yeah this is this is good everything is going to be perfect and we have arrived. We are officially one of the, t- the one of the big six clubs, and now it's like they've um, they've won one out of their last eighteen against the top six. And yeah. I mean, like those are things that you eventually have to come to terms with. Mm-hmm. There's still, I mean, Poch hasn't won anything yet. I mean, it's it's they are promising, but eventually you have to get out of the realm of promise. Yeah, I agree, but. I think Donnie 
we've talked about this with you a little bit. I know you wanted to talk about it. It's kind of a there's a weird like ticking time bomb aspect to Tottenham. It feels like yeah, yeah. I mean, you actually we were talking about it offline. Uh, called it a house of cards, which I thought was a funny phrase, but Donnie, you as hell, man. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I was listening to uh, I think the Five Live podcast, and they had. Kieran Dyer on as a guest, uh, who you may remember mostly from playing at Newcastle from and fighting and fighting player, <laughs> his own teammate. I mean, he had a, you know England 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 caps for England and everything. But <clears throat> so anyway, Kieran Dyer on BBC said, and I'm quoting now: "I spoke to a Tottenham player towards the end of last season, a full international, regular first country, regular first team, and he told me what he was on wages wise, and I was on more money at Newcastle in 2002, which." actually raised a lot of questions for me, which is, you know, beginning with who was the Tottenham player. Yeah. Two, how the, how much money was Kieran Dyer making in <laughs> 2002? <laughs> and three, the bigger question, which you're alluding to, Ryan, is like how long can this last at Spurs if this is if, if Kieran Dyer is not spinning, spinning a ducktail here, if this is real? Um, that's kind of alarming, and that's why, you know, it it was plain to see, too, on uh, on Saturday that Kyle Walker has – made the move, you know, probably tripled or quadrupled his salary, hasn't looked back as part of a side that's going to win a trophy. You can't help but think that, you know, players like Deli Ali and Harry Kane, maybe not Kane, I don't know, but are looking, Danny Rose, obviously, yeah. and seeing that, you know, I, there's a ceiling here and we're like inches from it. And, you know, uh, if other teams come calling, bigger teams, and there are bigger teams now in the league, um, you know, it's going to be hard for them to keep keep those guys together. Yeah, so what we're saying here essentially is that, you know, we we talk about the big 6, but as far as how much those teams pay their players, there's a big 5 and then probably a big 3 also of Chelsea, Man U and um Man City with Liverpool and Arsenal a little bit behind. Um and then Tottenham with a big gap. Tottenham I think is it's their payroll is closer to Everton's than it is to Liverpool or Arsenal and Somehow they have, you know, arguably the most talented first 11 in the league. You could, you know, probably dislocate your neck straining to actually say that. But it's always seemed like how to, like, they're just, I don't, it's kind of confusing to me in a way. They're convincing all of these really good players <laughs> to just play for less money, I guess, because they believe in the project. So uh, essentially, here's some numbers um, Hugo Lloris and Harry Kane are the two highest paid guys on the team and they make around 100,000 uh, pounds per week. Eric Dyer makes 70, Christian Eriksen's around seven, 75, and Danny Rose is at 65. Um, Walker at least doubled his wages when he went to Man City this year. When Man U bid for Dyer this summer, it was reported that he would have at least doubled his wages to 140,000 if he went to Man U. Uh, same with... Uh, Danny Rose, who's sort of made some public noises about it, and we're not so we're not talking about like adding like a ten percent raise. You're doubling your salary you, by going to these other you teams. Also said something more interesting off air, which is the best players at Crystal Palace are at least paid hundred k a yeah, week. The best players at Crystal Palace, West Ham, are making as much as Harry Kane and Hugo Lloris are making, and more than like all of the other stars on Tottenham. And just from everything we know that. That really can't hold, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, and it goes back to the the trophy thing. I mean, it's all fine and dandy if you guys if you're winning things, but if you're not winning and you're underpaid, then it's kind of like there's there's no point of staying um, um, unless there's some kind of you know loyalty to the project, as you said, Ryan. But I think that can wear thin over time. Yeah, exactly. It's a weird it's a weird dynamic there where it's kind of like they have all of these incredibly good young players and this incredibly young core, but it's like. They almost have the shortest shelf life of any team in the league, yeah, and they're not going to win anything this year, to be frank. So, yeah. Champions League, <laughs> Carabao Cup, or they even in it? <laughs> um, okay, we'll move on to the second overreaction, which is David Moyes for USMNT. Uh, no, <laughs> hell no. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> um, we more bring this up because anytime a manager does something remotely good, uh, we link him with the U.S. job on this podcast. <laughs> um, and since David Moyes took over at West Brom, or West Ham, I should say, they had two wins, two draws, and two losses. They played a really tough stretch with City, Chelsea, and Arsenal, and actually came out of that with four points, um, which is impressive. And... At, on 538, their their relegation projection was at 35% when he took over, and now it's at 18%. Um, West, West Ham look okay. They look like they're going to be safe, which when they hired David Moyes, I thought they were going to get relegated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's... it's I, I gotta say that okay maybe maybe i owe david moyes a slight small <laughs> tiny halfway apology about you know like the things that we were saying about him when he got appointed but at the same time it's still um i mean it's six games yeah and um, it's what happens when you you know when you take over a team that's abject if you're not abject you've improved them right so yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically from abject to mediocre i mean they did as you mentioned have a good run against those strong teams but Really, I think it's like, I, you know, in a previous episode, I called Marco Arnautovic, I called him Budget Zlatan, but I also called him the worst buy <laughs> of the summer. And he was for the first eight games or so. I mean, he was, you know, banned for a few of them for red cards. But, I mean, he really came to play yeah. the last couple games, especially, though, against his former team Stoke. Yeah, he looked- I loved him taunting the crowd and Ugh. Mark Hughes telling him to fuck off. I mean, it was like if you, cl- classic. If you are going to play... Against your former club, you should only do what Marko Anatovic did. There was like, there was, he yeah, was getting sick like from no the supporters. Yeah, <laughs> he was out. like, he goes, I, he made the iron cross, and then did a badge slap after he <laughs> after he missed just over the crossbar. Then after that he was scored. awesome because it was after he missed. Too. Yeah, yeah. kind of like. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, Lanzini looks like Dimitri Payet. You know, I mean, it's like. You know, nah, he's a diver. Bill- yeah. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> well, okay, so after the game, boy said, like, you know, I, I don't think he dived. Like, you know, that was he. It was a really long run. Maybe he was just winded at the end of it and fell over. You know, it's just like Moy. He did this. Moyes did the thing I'd never seen before, which was that wasn't a dive, but also band diving from soccer. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, incidentally, sidebar. There were, by my count, six penalties awarded over the weekend in the Premier League, and I thought they were all dives, all six of them. Yeah. That's my take. Well, yeah. Well, then also, uh, Ndidi at uh, well, Everton, in Everton's game, got, 
got a soft red on his 21st birthday for diving in the box. It seems like they were talking about on the broadcast that defenders are pulling out of tackles in the box like that now more, which I think is a good trend because it's going to yeah. make a lot of people that are trying to dive look very stupid. Well, it's yeah. like the one with the the one with Lanzini. I think it was Peters. It's like the, I mean, I always remember this penalty, the Rooney, Saul Campbell, when, when they broke the 49 game unbeaten. Mm. It's like the defender has actually Good put times. his leg in a bad position mm-hmm. and gone in recklessly. So, you know, in some ways you maybe should penalize the defender for doing that because there could be contact, but there isn't. And that's what Lanzini did. I mean, Peters came in with his leg. It didn't touch him. But he just ran into the leg, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, in the 2006 World Cup, Australia versus Italy. I, f- I think it was Lucas Neal, the legend Lucas Neal, who just slid in on Fabio Grosso and Grosso like chipped the ball over him and then just yeah. essentially flopped on top of Lucas Neal. But the thing is like... Australia's still mad about yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> like... If you slide in for a tackle in the box, you 100% have to get the ball. If you don't get the ball, even if you don't get the guy, that's on you if you give a penalty. You know what I mean? Like, the guy shouldn't have to jump over you. That's not how soccer works. You can't just lay out, lay down, and (laughs) make the guy move around you. Um, So, you don't, so do you think Lanzini, he just got a two game ban today, right? Yeah. Retroactive diving ban. Yeah. He definitely earned that. Nobody touched him. If, if you, if, if, like it's 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 really harsh on Stoke though because that was the first you know the noble penalty was the first goal of the game if that hadn't been called then the whole thing could have been different yeah definitely and going down one zero on a goal like that early on feels like two zero honestly yeah. it's it's worth a two game ban <laughs> like it gets you a three we've talked about how important it is to score a first goal in a game because it just changes the dynamic and and he's missing what the fucking Carabao Cup. Yeah, to and the, today, <laughs> and they they beat a team that they're competing with in the relegation fight. Um, yeah. Speaking of, you know what the fuck is happening with Stoke? I feel like we. What happened to Hesse? He's played like under. He's played like five hundred minutes or something this season. Um, yeah, I heard recently that he was disciplined for like going a wall or something. Is he recording too much music? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the last time we talked about Stoke on this podcast was. Uh, when they tied Man U. <laughs> um, <laughs> or maybe when they beat Arsenal. I mean, or, like, yeah, those they had both of those things happen. Daddy like, may September. be happy about self-lasting. I would prefer not to talk about the United game. <laughs> but uh, now they they have by far the worst defense in the Premier League, giving up 39 goals. Uh, expected goals, they're still the worst defense. Um, and their relegation odds right now are... 26% on 538 and I think that's only because they have a talented roster and those numbers taken to account talent. But... Let's put some pressure on that talented though. I mean <laughs> like we were like uh <laughs> this is all of like a collection of players that rocked up from like bigger clubs. Yeah. Like your central midfield is Darren Fletcher and Joe Allen. Joe Allen came from Liverpool. Darren Fletcher was cast off by West Brom after being cast off at Manchester yeah. United. And he's 33. Just don't slander Shakiri. Shakiri's still performing. Shakiri's having a good season. Four goals, <laughs> yeah, five assists. But I think I think Mark Hughes just got the dreaded vote of confidence today. Actually, yeah, he uh, did. I think they play West Brom on the weekend, so that's probably it. If they lose that, there's just you, there's no. I agree. There's no. It's like what you were saying. It's the West. It's the same. It's a similar situation to West Ham. Like West Ham, 
very weird and mismatched roster, but a lot of like decent to talented players. And the team that team should just not be in a relegation fight. And the same thing with Stoke. Like I loved though after that game. Uh, after the West Ham Stoke game, Mark Hughes being like, "We shouldn't be in a relegation fight." Like it's a thing that's beneath him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he he uh, managed Man City at one point. Don't don't you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I read that. I think Mark Hughes is Stoke at Stoke, sixty four points in sixty two games, which is pretty much the definition of that's meh. Ter- that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they, you know, Stoke. You know the the uh, cliche of can you do it on a rainy Wednesday in Stoke. It's not like that anymore. No. They, they've kind of lost their identity. So yeah, and and it's and it was kind of it must have been really infuriating for the Stoke fans to see Arnautovic, uh, you know, bang one in for West Ham and also play really well because he was a Stoke player, you know, and he's yeah. like that type of guy, the bully, uh, the guy that you don't want to play against and makes life hard, etc. All those cliches, but. Stoke was just kind of like a bleh. they don't really have an identity and uh, and they're not really hard to play against. I mean, I guess they still have Shaw Cross and and people like that in the back to make it hard, but you know they're they they've kind of lost that Stokeness. Well, at the very least, Tony Poulos is still available. I was just gonna say, I think we just found the solution. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll take a finder's fee for that one, Stoke. Okay, third and final reaction is Real Madrid are the best team in the world. Can Didn't you we... even argue this? It's a fact. <laughs> Is it? Is um, it? So actually, uh, a lot of you probably don't know this, but um, Real Madrid won the Club World Cup this weekend, which the thing about this is that I didn't know that it happened on Saturday. It happened during, I think, the Man City-Tottenham game, and no focus on Twitter, on any website that covers the sport really shined a light on this game happening. So, like, the Club World Cup was completely overshadowed by all of the domestic games this weekend. I mean, like, let's just not say that it had anything to do with the domestic games this weekend. I mean, the Cup gives the two best teams a buy into the semifinal stage, and Real Madrid always sleepwalks their way into the final. Yeah. It's a seven-team tournament. I mean, I did watch some of the semifinal. It was, I can't remember what day it was, but I was watching on a stream. They were playing Al Jazeera. And they were losing it for Not a little news while. Not the network. Yeah, <laughs> they were, and actually, Al Jazeera was up one nil, and then they almost went up two nil before the VAR reared its ugly head. And, and VAR was kind of a big talking point throughout this competition because uh, in that game, in that semifinal, it was like three or four times they they used it. So, I mean, that's one thing, one takeaway. Is there? I've been trying to think about this. You know, we've talked about there are better ways to do World Cup qualifying, you know, there are these Nations League, na- there's this Nations League thing that's going to be happening that seems like it could be interesting. It's hard for me to think of a way to make the Club World Cup better because all of the solutions I see are, like, add more teams from Europe in it, and that's just, like, we have the Champions League for that. Like, I don't need to see Real Madrid play PSG in December in the club world cup also i don't really care yeah like my other thoughts and this is just this this wouldn't happen but it's like do you like let the team that's playing the european team in the final like start up a goal or something (laughs) 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 Uh, here's the thing too it's like and they used to as far as i know the club world cup i don't know how they picked the host but it seemed to be in japan a lot in Mm -hmm. the last five or 
decade or so. I don't know. Maybe I'm pulling that out of my ass. But I was it. It was a UAE, right? It was in the United Arab Emirates this year. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah looking at the watching that Al Jazeera game. The stadium wasn't even full. So if it's like not if the fans aren't even going in the actual site of the tournament, really, what is the fucking point? <laughs> you know? Yeah, because you should at least be able to get the like same kind of attendance we get here for the international friendlies over the summer, right? You would think. Yeah. Maybe like uh, what's the name of the company here? Soccer marketing or whatever. Some. Yeah. Yep. Maybe they should just buy it and have it in like Foxborough. <laughs> Americans on the, on have it at Gillette Stadium <laughs> Real Madrid versus Grimio that would be awesome we'd get a picture of Tom Brady throwing a pass to Cristiano Ronaldo I'm sure um, one last thing on this so El Clasico is on Saturday um, essentially it's a must win game for Real Madrid already they're, they're 11 points back <laughs> of Barcelona sounds familiar uh, do you guys have any thoughts on what's going to happen this weekend uh, I want it to be like an escalation of the of the game last season when uh, Ronaldo took like Messi took off his jersey and then Ronaldo took off his jersey. Mm-hmm. This time, I want Messi to score. Take off his shorts. Like at the yes, exactly. <laughs> like I want it to be like a ninety third minute winner, and I want him to 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 strip down to like his compression shorts and throw everything in the crowd, and then just run into the tunnel. I support that. Yeah. Wow. I don't have a prediction, but did you say Madrid is 11 points up? 11 points back. back. Oh, back. Yeah. Sorry. That's how closely I follow La Liga. So, <laughs> I, but United is 11 points back of City, and I think Bayern is 11 points up. And I'm just saying 11 points seems to be the gap. Yeah, the other thing that's interesting about this is that, you know, the Spanish Super Cup this summer, Real Madrid just totally worked Barcelona. They won 3-1 in the first leg, 2-0 in the second leg. And it really seemed like we were finally entering the phase, especially after Barcelona had that this weird summer where Madrid solidified themselves as the best team in Spain, and then that just hasn't happened this year. And I think the interesting thing about this game is that neither of these teams are really as good as they've been in the past four or five years. So I think that could make for kind of an exciting game where a lot of crazy shit happens um and i think we would all we would all appreciate that so watch el clasico this weekend hopefully messi is completely naked by the end of the game that is our main <laughs> takeaway here we're going to move on to some zonal question marks and the first one is what the fuck are you doing antoine griezmann <sighs> all right bros it is not that hard it is 2017 and the internet exists. You should know by now, if you wear blackface, you are going to get dragged to death over it. So, you know, just don't do it. So it was the 80s, it, 80s party, <laughs> 80s party basketball crying laughing face picture of <laughs> Antoine Griezmann uh, two days ago wearing a f- afro and head to toe blackface. And an NBA All Stars jersey, and I mean, like, it's not, it's not even, it's not even just black. Like, it's his whole, it's his whole damn body. Yep. You had so much time to think about what you were doing. <laughs> you did black, and body. you still did that shit. Yeah. I mean, like, and so he deleted it and then posted an apology. Like, well, his first, his first comment was, "It's a tribute. It's a tribute." <laughs> Why are you guys mad? 
I mean, bruh. Like, I, like I, honestly. You know, I'm not going to defend him here, but I will say that. Careful. You know, <laughs> Careful. It's like, it, you know, in America, the racial baggage is heavier than it is in Europe. The racial baggage is heavy everywhere. I don't, it I is, don't buy it that. Is every, it is everywhere. But, you know, I was surprised, actually. I was listening to another podcast. I think it was uh, the Guardian podcast and Barry Glendening said something like he hadn't realized the scope or how deep or how deeply offensive, I guess I should say, blackface is. Uh, he didn't consider the whole historical context and Al Jolson and all of that. And that's something that us as Americans are particularly sensitive of and rightfully so. Anyway, I'm not defending Antoine Griezmann. It was a stupid ass costume, but I don't think he's a terrible guy or he shouldn't be forgiven for it. Nope. Just stupid. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. Don't wear blackface and don't paint your entire body black. Yeah, shouldn't be hard. And also, like, give a real apology if you're going to apologize. Yeah, he he still did leave it with the "I'm sorry if I offended anyone." Sorry, you're so soft was is what that translates to. Yeah, Uh, en français though, at least. (laughs) All right. uh, Second Donald question is: Where will Crystal Palace finish the season? Top, top six. ten, maybe? <laughs> top, <laughs> six. top six. <laughs> Second place. <laughs> Listen, I think that, okay, so it had been like 1,100 minutes since Christian Penteke had scored in the Premier League when he had that header. Then 10 minutes later, heads an even better one that just glances by his own post, like almost scored an own goal. I think that that's where Crystal Palace's chances are. Like 13th. At best, I think. Well, they're 14th now, unbeaten in seven. I, d- I don't th- I think they end up 13th. What do you think, Donnie? Well, I'm looking at the teams above them right now. Brighton, Southampton, Huddersfield, Watford, Everton. That's like nine through 13 because they're 14th. I think they'll finish somewhere in that mix. I think they can hopscotch or hop over, I guess, Brighton and Southampton at least. So, yeah, 11, 12. I think they might might make it to the top 10. They they need a little bit of a run and that means they're going to have to pass one of Burnley, Tottenham, <laughs> Leicester, Everton or Watford. Uh but this team is like this I mean this team is kind of good. <laughs> 7 7 games unbeaten and I mean like that it's the that's the best start they've had since I've personally been alive since like 1990. I mean that's it's no small thing, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I think it goes in with the keeping of what we were saying when the team started the season. They were getting really unlucky in a lot of ways, and a lot of that has come around. And Can I have a follow-up question? Yeah. What team is Wilfred Zaha playing for on February 1st, 2018, then also the start of next season? Um, I want to say that he is still playing at Palace on February 1st. But the start of next season, I think he's playing for Tottenham. I'm going to agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I I think that... Well, I mean, like they were talking about that on the... Well, you brought up the Guardian Weekly podcast already, but that, like he's a good fit for Tottenham. He has like the kind of game-breaking pace that they don't currently have. And you... Need that? You need, well, you need him. On the, like, I mean, like he's 
if you have him, considering you, given that you would be able to keep Kane next season or, you know, like your big pieces to add Wilfred Zaha is, I mean, maybe edges them up into seventh place instead of 10th. <laughs> I think I think he's a good fit for Spurs, but they're not a good fit for him. So I hope he stays at he'll, Palace. He'll probably have to take a pay cut if he goes to Tottenham. So yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, all right, third question. I'm just going to let Micah ask this because I have no idea what it means. Oh, I was, you talking about the question about Marco Silva? Yes. yes. Oh, I was, okay. So I'm not going to phrase the question that way. <laughs> but I mean, like, do, I mean, like, where is your, where exactly is your Marco Silva stock, like, at this very moment? Uh, Wait a minute. Why don't you just read the damn question? I'm going to yeah. read the question. Okay. Yeah. What's really Marco good? Silva, what? What's really good, Marco Silva? Is it Uchiwali or is it One Mike? Because it's him, like, this is after he, uh... Which one's supposed to be the good one, Uchiwali or One Mike? Because I like Uchiwali better. I mean, it's like, are you serious about, like, you know, I am going to take Sam Allardyce to task over everything in the press, or I'm going to avoid the fact that Watford has a discipline problem, and I have three players serving red card suspensions, and... We switched they have a off lot of cojones, though that team. <laughs> <laughs> Troy Deeney, that that tackle was, I mean, just it wasn't that bad. It wasn't bad, but it was so stupid. Like yeah. those are that's not it's it, it's not like it's bad because it was stupid. Right, right. Well, are, so are you saying that Marco Silva needs to do what because of the indiscipline of his team? Something. I don't know what it is. I'm not a manager. But what I'm saying is that it's, I guess it's one of those damn if you do, damn if you don't things. If you address the discipline problem in the press, then I mean, like, where does that inevitably lead? But also, you know, it's like that's the, if you have your players switching off in defense and giving up goals and then also getting suspended for really dumb and rash challenges. Yeah, and I think it's what been three and three games now. Yeah, three and three I think games. I, I think after each match, the last three matches, he said it wasn't a red card, so he's defending his players to the end. That Mourinho, the Mourinho playbook. <laughs> it's a tough. You know, we were all pretty high on Watford, and then they played Burnley, Crystal Palace, and Huddersfield, and lost all three games. <laughs> yeah, and like Huddersfield has one of the worst and least threatening attacks in the Premier League. And granted, there was a red card, but there was also then a red card to a Huddersfield player. Um, and Watford just got totally smacked off the field by Huddersfield um, at home. So, I think the weakness with it's you know is it a weakness with the personnel? Is it a weakness with Silva's style? I I think the Watford is a really open team um so i think they're this is what happens when you play an open style and you're not one of the top six teams you just have games like this where everything goes wrong and you give up <laughs> four goals to huddersfield yeah um but they're not like i a couple weeks ago i was like okay this is probably the best team outside of the top six and i don't think i think that anymore yeah um yeah i mean like the first kachunga was offside uh, second, everyone switched off the ball, looped over the top, and they got around the back that way. And the third, 
corner goes down, there was like another limp clearance. They had problems clearing their lines the entire game against Huddersfield. And then uh, Departure doesn't have a whole lot to do to tuck it in at the far post because, I mean, it's just a bunch of Watford players just standing and looking, you know. Another Belgian striker. (laughs) (laughs) They got a lot of fucking strikers all over the place. Still, though, Decore scored the most satisfying consolation goal ever, though. Did you see that? No. I did. Outside the box. No, I saw it. Of course. It's like, you ever hit a a ball like, you know, the good luck keeper shots? Mm -hmm. Where it's just kind of, it leaves your foot and you're just like, you know, there's there's no way that you're getting a hand to that. Yeah. Yeah. Very pure, clean strike. Can I ask the last question? Go for it. The last zonal question mark. Micah and Ryan, were you furious or wet with respect? Is that a phrase? Wet with respect? Wet I didn't, with respect. Uh, I didn't rank this question. Or, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say dripping with respect. When Ramon wet McCarthy, with respect. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Okay, settle down, guys. Were you furious or wet with respect <laughs> when Ramallah Lukaku refused to celebrate against West Brom? And let me just put this, uh, set the scene for you guys. Uh, the last two goals, Lukaku scored one in midweek against Bournemouth and over the weekend against West Brom, both beautiful headers. He refused to celebrate. And not only did he refuse to celebrate, he looked actually a little sullen. Uh, the one against Bournemouth, you could say he was in a slump and was hearing a lot of criticism after the City game and etc. Against West Brom, you can make the excuse that he played for West Brom on loan and scored a shitload of goals for them and it was in West Brom Stadium, so... Uh, maybe he was paying respect. But uh, what was your reaction? Because I saw a sports psychologist quoted in the tabloid saying, quote, I think for Lukaku not to celebrate is disrespectful to his teammates, to himself, and it reflects his manager's approach, end quote. I'm, uh, I've always been one for the, th- the Balotelli theory, which is the mailman doesn't celebrate when he delivers mail, so I'm not going <laughs> to celebrate when I score a goal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was – it was uh... – First of all, I'm going to wait to see what he does against Bristol City if he scores or against. Is he even going to play against? Well, against Leicester City then. All right. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that was basically what. There's some truth to Phil Johnson's words, uh, which is the sports psychologist I believe you were citing. Um, definitely a real person. <laughs> definitely a real person. Uh, but I mean, like Mourinho said that like after the game when he was asked about. Uh, Lukaku not celebrating celebrating against West Brom. He said, you don't go crazy when you win. You don't get depressed when you lose. You are much more stable with experience. Some other managers, they are different and they don't change. I change. If I score a goal in the last minute, you will see me run for sure, for sure. But a goal, minute 20-something, 1-0 with a lot to play, let's play. That's, I mean, it's logical. It's It makes a certain kind of sense, but it's also kind of like, you know, uh, let me ruin this thing just a little bit so I can have more of it is not exactly a fun way to live your life. I I like how uh, we're, you know, talking about Mourinho. We always talk about how he distracts from the result, but now, like, we're even distracting from Manu winning games pretty easily. It's great. I Um, I don't think the Lukaku thing was disrespectful to his teammates or to himself. No. But it's a little bit of a bummer for fans. I mean, it's like when the guy on your team scores, you want him to be happy or to at least look happy. I mean, like, 
Ryan, how do you feel when Coutinho scores and he looks like he'd rather be playing his Nintendo Switch at home? He'd rather be in Barcelona, is, is, is what I'm thinking about most of the time. <laughs> He's just doing Coutinho's his Coutinho's non-celebration feels more pointed than Lukaku's. Yeah, I, I don't really care either way. You know, they're scoring, and that's that's ultimately what matters to me. Right. Quick one shout-out for another celebration this weekend, which was Benteke, uh, the aforementioned. He scored his header, and then he celebrated by sticking his fingers in his ears, which was pretty good, pretty apropos, and I hope they add it to FIFA next season. That was great. One last quiz quick zonal question which I'm going to ask and then answer and it's is Christian Pulisic God and the answer is obviously yes <laughs> um, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to call David Priest to talk about Ederson uh, another deity like soccer player <laughs> quick break to tell you about the Ringers YouTube channel we stepped up our game in 2017 with weekly videos like Cousin Sal's Best Bet Slow News Day NBA Desktop, No BS, Table Reads, Director's Commentary, and Captain Morgan's Make Believe Casino, as well as our video podcasts and mini-movies like Take Hunter, which stars my good friend who's sitting across the table from me. No no photos, please. <laughs> um, Ringer 360 and Claytheism, um, which Chris Ryan still hasn't recovered from. <laughs> He's still wearing that turtleneck. <laughs> he Come refuses in- to take it off. It's actually kind of unsettling. It really smells bad at this point. Um, coming in 2018, though, we've got a weekly video mailbag from Bill Simmons, Mallory out of a hat, and a slew of other new digital shows. Don't want to miss anything? Just go to theringer.com slash video, or even better, please subscribe to our channel at youtube.com slash theringer. Welcome back. Uh, Donnie's gone. But me and Mike are still here, and we're joined by David Priest, uh, former professional keeper uh, turned broadcaster. How you doing, David? I'm very well, gents. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Yeah, we're we're doing well. We're uh, trying we're ex- to reconcile. <laughs> like we're basically trying. We're we're thinking. We've been thinking for a very long time about Ederson, basically. Yeah, and I think it <laughs> it all came to a head this weekend when he um, essentially inhabited the body of or the. Spirit of Xabi Alonso inhabited his body <laughs> um, <laughs> against Manchester United. I, I guess the first question: Have you ever seen a keeper performance like that with a keeper using his feet to such a sort of devastating effect? I think the the biggest thing from the, the whole performance you could take from it is, is just the whole range of passing that he showed. It's not that it's not the the fact that it was. Yeah, normally you have one aspect of, of distribution that's that, that becomes uh, that sticks out amongst goalkeepers. You know when they, they have a performance like that, but he's it's just everything. I mean, I don't know if you saw it the other week. There was a there's a long punt down the field, and he's about ten yards outside his box, and he just killed it stone dead uh, under pressure. Striker coming onto him, and he just as calm as you like, just plays it out, and it's it, it's. It's wonderful to see, and I think that there's too many people trying to sort of, I don't know, it's, it's the same with Pep. They're, they're trying to, to rein in the the uh, the praise that they get, but from my perspective, as a as a former goalkeeper, you want to lavish them with praise simply because that's how goalkeepers should be. All goalkeepers should be like that now. We it's it's 25 years since the pack uh, the, the back pass rule came into uh, as as a, as a law, and it was. Now we're we're really seeing the, the like the real true hybrid goalkeepers. It's not a 
don't know. It, it's not an exception anymore, but he's certainly taken things to another level with his performances. Well, yeah, I mean, like it was a uh, a market improvement over Claudio Bravo last season because they signed him in uh, June from Benfica, and it was. I think a month before that, like one of his last games at Benfica, they were playing like Vittoria, I think it was. And he hit a, like from his six yard box, put it on a dime on his, on, on the striker's foot and he flicked it over the keeper. Like <laughs> that is, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, I mean, like it's perfect for, I mean, like, Pep wants his players to play a certain way, obviously. Um, I mean, like, there was the row with uh, Sergio Aguero not pressing enough, like, at the beginning of last season. And it's just kind of like everybody has more than one job. And Ederson just adds, like, this entirely new dimension to, to City's attack. It's like the whole thing is just humming and clicking and whirring, and it's impossible to stop. Well, what it is, it just shows you what Pep's like, the way that he's always thinking about finding solutions to problems in the game so that the game becomes almost a yeah, a perfect game. And I think that last season, obviously the idea was to to, to take Joe Hart out as one of his, his first and his most major decisions. Mm. Take Joe Hart out because he didn't think he would fit with the style. He wasn't up to it. Brought in Claudio Bravo. And from the very off... He made a mistake in his first game in the Manchester Derby, even though they won the game. He drops the ball, puts himself under pressure, concedes a bad goal, puts himself under pressure. And from then on, the rest of the Premier League, they, they smelled blood and they thought there was a, a sort of a, a weak link in the chain. And so they, they went for him and teams started to press uh, City high and they got a lot of joy from them, they put them under pressure. And from that moment, from, even from the early days, you could see that Pep knew that he was going to have to find a solution to this. Other teams had done it to him before when he was at Barcelona and at, and at Bayern. And they've got success, but not in the way that uh, they had against Manchester City. It was detrimental to the whole side. That weakness that's, uh, that was shown, it, 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 it sort of spread throughout the side and, and sort of and drained everyone from confidence. So everyone knew that when, when uh, Edison was coming in that, that we'd had this... He'd add this different dimension. So if teams wanted to press them really high, go man for man, then they were going to leave a lot of space in behind. And the way that they, the, the team spreads out, it's almost like a, an accordion across the pitch. They just spread out. And the space in behind defences, the space in behind midfielders and in front of defenders, there's so many areas and different options that Edison has. And that's one a big part of it. It's, you know, we can... With all the praise we can put on uh, Edison, he he wouldn't be able to do this without the uh... without like Kevin De Bruyne's flypaper touch. Like it's it's there was uh, I mean like one of the one of the better balls he hit was this long driven ball into De Bruyne, and he kills it dead, flips it over the right back like onto an on rushing Raheem Sterling, and then two passes there in on goal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's it, it, it's kind of. The uh, the total opposite of what you expect from a, a Pep Guardiola side, playing balls over that distance, it's especially from from deep, it's not typical of, of a Pep side, but it's it's effective now, and that's what he's doing. He's he's his games evolving, his tactics are evolving to to find solutions to his problem. And like like I said, when you've got these players who can do that and give you those options, it makes it a hell of a lot easier. But 
when teams are pressing like the like they are, the confidence he has to play the ball through uh, lines of press to take four or five players out the side. So when the likes of De Bruyne and Silva turning with the ball, they've only got four or five players themselves between the goals and makes them so much more dangerous. Yeah, I, th- I think it is, though, it is sort of keeping in, it's in keeping with the Guardiola ethos of, like you alluded to, in finding an advantage everywhere in the sense of, you know, his teams always have possession, so it makes sense that his defenders are sort of passers first and defenders second. And this year, you know, he's crammed two attack, nominal attacking midfielders and Silva and De Bruyne into the midfield because he knows that they're going to have so much control, so he he fits as much creativity into the team as possible. And his, just by definition, his keepers don't have to use their hands that often, right? <laughs> so it makes sense that they're able to distribute like this. So, so another thing I wanted to ask you is, in the NBA, I don't know if you follow it at all, big men centers have started shooting three-pointers um, to make themselves more useful. They used to sort of just rebound and play near the hoop, but now they started shooting threes. And every sort of kid that plays basketball who's talented and is over seven feet, over six six eight they now grow up shooting threes in a way that they never would have done that 15 years ago do you see a kind of a similar shift happening with keepers where like your 12 year old keeper is not not only just you know working on his reactions and his positioning and his claiming of crosses but also like working on his distribution do you think this is a thing we're going to sort of see take over the goalkeeping position as we go forward yeah, I think, like I said at the start, it's it's taken far too long, much far longer than I ever thought, for keepers to adapt the way they have. You see them now. I mean, Manuel Neuer is probably the... He certainly wasn't the first goalkeeper to play like this. There's been... History's littered with goalkeepers uh, who, who, can, who are comfortable with the ball, who used to be outfield players. But the way that goalkeeping is coached now, you find a lot of sessions now... Um, Handling is, has become a smaller percentage of that. Um, shot stopping has become a, a smaller percentage of that. And it is to do with, the, um, you know, playing with your, you've got to play with your feet a hell of a lot more. And I think certainly when I, I played for, uh, for four years in Denmark, and as soon as I went over there, I was, uh, I was introduced to all of the uh, passing drills, all of the keep ball uh, uh, drills that, were, that we did. Um, all the possession drills and it, it helped me a hell of a lot it, just because it's just through repetition you're doing it all the time and I think it's now that the keepers who are coming through now that they've they've had that from a young age and they're more comfortable with the ball and, and as much as it is about technique and, and passing and, and range of passing it's about mentality as well most goalkeepers of any level if you give them a ball in the training pitch they will more or less be able to find passes like that but it's when you're under pressure and you've got the, the bravery and the, the right mentality to be able to do that and stay calm and pick these passes out under pressure. That's probably what, more than anything, more than any of his, his skills or his, his talent, it's, it's down to his mentality the way that he is. Right, because, I mean, like, you, you, from that vantage point, you have the entire game in front of you, but you're also the last line of defense. Yeah. 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 Well, and, yeah, well it's, it's, I mean, and a lot of people, when they're under pressure, your head goes down, you focus on the ball, you know, the best players play with their head up and they can see everything. And it, 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 it's a, maybe it's a bit of a cliche saying that the, the time slows down for them because they, they move the ball, manipulate the ball to, to places where it takes further for the opposition to come and close you down and gives you a little bit more time. But 
and you keep your head up and you, you can see those options. So it's, it, it is about him being more like a, a, an, an extra outfield player. And he's kind of said he, I mean, he used to play left back. I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not an unusual thing for goalkeepers to start as outfield, uh, outfield players at all. Um, but it certainly gives him an advantage. Do you think that, like, is a keeper like this uh, uniquely suited to play for a dominant possession team like Guardiola is? Like, are there the same benefits to having a technically skilled keeper if you're a team like, say, Burnley, who's kind of playing deep and sort of their strategy is, or not strategy, but the way they play, they just naturally do concede a lot of shots, so the keeper has to make a ton of saves? D- does that, does the keeper... Do this, does the skill set needed there change from the one that Man City needs? Certainly. I mean, if, if you look at the uh, the statistics for sweeper clearances, for the, the touches outside the box when the, the, the opposition has played through balls, the, the top two were Edison and Hugo Lloris. Mm-hmm. They're both their sides in this division who press high, play high defensive lines. So they have to be, uh, they have to have that skill set, the, the positive uh, starting positions. And, and being able to be comfortable coming outside the box. Now, you look at somebody like Petr Cech, who's uh, st- still a, a, an exceptional goalkeeper, but the the one time in his career that he's had a bit of a, uh, bit of a bad spell was a time when Andre Villas-Bos came in at Chelsea and he played a high line, and, uh, and he didn't really adjust well to that, and he's used to playing deep under his line. Um, someone like Buffon as well, who's been who's used to playing with uh, the best defences there's been in Europe, in UV in Italy. He's been used to being uh, sort of sitting back further on his line. So it's certainly, you, you do have to, uh, when you're recruiting goalkeepers, it, it has to be taken in mind, uh, certainly the, the type of goalkeeper that you are recruiting rather than just a very good one. He has to suit your style as well. But I guess also it sort of goes both ways. If, you know, if more and more kids are being trained to be more, I guess, confident, as you put it, with their feet, then maybe sort of managers are tweaking their game plan or their style to let their keepers be in a position to, to use their feet more often, more aggressively. Yeah, you're right. And But I think also what's happening now, that's the, the, the type of goalkeeper that you're seeing, the likes of Edison, certainly uh, Jordan Pickford at Everton as well, they're more more rounded goalkeepers rather than being a certain type um, they, they be, they're becoming a, I don't know they, they're becoming sort of like the norm now yeah. so you, you're not you're not having to, to adjust as much I mean you, you're always going to have keepers perhaps from like Fraser Forster who's um, sort of physical attributes and um, can can make positives and negatives in his game and, and then just dictate the way that he plays but more often than not, if you're going to get now, you're going to get a keeper who's who's not particularly huge in height, sort of average for a goalkeeper six foot two, and who's more mobile around the goal, fast feet, and, and more adept with the ball. Definitely. Um, well, thanks so much for coming on, David. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the next time, anytime, gents, anytime. The next time a keeper blows our mind, uh, we'll be sure to have you back on. No problem. Cheers. That does it for this week's Ringer FC. Um, we'll be back next week with what I believe is officially being called the end of the year banger podcast, (laughs) (laughs) the end of the year (laughs) banger podcast, um, where we're going to go over the year in soccer and project forward to next year. But until then, 
ignore the Carabao Cup. We'll talk to you next week. Boom, boom, boom.